this is for Clementine and Otis. So, hey, listen, thanks for listening. Like, I'm super grateful for your interest in the podcast. I'll keep working hard and continue to produce weekly episodes for you because I absolutely love this. Hopefully you find some inspiration or learn something along the way. At the very least, I hope you are entertained. I've been getting asked a lot lately, is the THT podcast a mental health awareness podcast? Is it a skateboarding podcast or is it a surfing podcast? And I guess like my answer to that is that it's all of those things and more. Effectively, like THT is a weekly variety show and the amazing guests that I have on every week all bring something different. So you never know what you're going to get. And it's also like you often learn things from the people that you least expect. And that's what's coming out of this, you know, almost three-year podcast journey for me. And those that have been with me from the start, like I hope you've really grown with me and learned as much as I have along the way. If you haven't already, subscribe on your preferred listening platform. And don't forget to check out the THT YouTube channel. And lastly, like I encourage you to support the sponsors of the show because they support me and I only I select very carefully who I choose to be affiliated with. Plus, you can get some discounts along the way and you'll also find my affiliate links on the new and improved THT website. So head over to terriblehappytalks.com and check out you know my back catalogue of 125 episodes now and links to my sponsors and, and much, much more. So thanks, everyone. guest is Sally Lewis. Sally is someone I regard as a close friend, confidant, inspiration, and generally a a person I feel comfortable enough to go to for advice like on all things life. She's an author and consultant and mentor at the Green School in Bali. And for those that listen regularly, Sally was a past guest on the show dating all the way back to episode 68 in which she went into detail about her 20-year battle with migraine headaches and severe food intolerance and, and much, much more beyond that as well. So today, Sally is with me live from her home in Bali to check in and always, and as always, share her experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Sally Lewis, welcome. (laughs) Thank you, Shannon. It's so great to speak to you. It is. I've missed you. So we've got a bit to catch up on. So you're still in Bali. You decided to move there with your family, like from the lovely hills of Byron Bay in Bangalore. Uh, you decided to move there at the start of the pandemic. Can you tell us why you guys made that decision? We actually had moved just before the pandemic. We literally okay. got to Bali two months before COVID hit for my son to finish the last couple of years, two and a half years of high school that he still had left. And he had been lucky enough to attend the school when he was in year three and had fond memories and wanted to go back for the last two or three years of his school life. So we orchestrated that, made that happen, arrived in the January of 2020. Gosh, the years are hard to keep track of at the moment. And two months later, when COVID arrived, we actually returned to Australia, which is there where we caught up when we were back on our farm in the hills of Byron, which was great. We had amazing catch up there. Um, We ended up with eight months back in Australia, which was actually a really precious time. Our daughter came back from Japan and we sort of collected as a family again and had a really amazing time that was unexpected, but wonderful to be together. Um, And then as the process of whatever happened with the pandemic, we made, made our way back to Bali in October last year. So we've been back here now for almost a year again, and we have almost one more year left before Dan's finished and graduates green school. And then what? Are you going to stay? <laughs> uh, we're actually building a house on Hamilton Island in Australia. So Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. Your family is one of the most amazing and unique and inspired families I've ever met. Do you think now that you've made that decision, are you happy with that decision to stay in Bali for that? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, this chapter here in Bali has just been such an incredible blessing in all of our lives, actually, as it turns out. Right. So many reasons. You know, I mean, it's all about perspective. As you know, we've talked about this before. Your perspective on life is what makes a difference. And you know that I believe that we create our own reality. 
And we do that from the inside out. You know, when you choose to live your life from the inside out rather than from the outside in, you get to take responsibility, which comes with its own challenges, but you get to paint the picture. Life's a blank canvas and we're the painter. And what we have to paint with, it doesn't really matter what your paint is, it's how you use it that makes a difference. And so here we are, we found ourselves back in Bali and, you know, a very different situation to the expectation that we initially had had from nine years ago with grade three, you build up an image of what you think it's going to look like. And of course, it never looks like that anyway, you know. (laughs) And so then you chuck COVID into the mix to add to the equation and it looks nothing I mean, green school looked nothing like green school last year. It was a completely different experience. You know, it is, this year is also its own different flavor again, but you can choose to look at that and wish it was different or try and change things, which is, that's hard. That's a hard way to live. It's pretty futile. Or you can choose to embrace what it is in front of you. And somehow that allows the magic in the universe to then work with you. And so Bali has just been this extraordinary time for all of us actually here, for my son from his own perspective, but the projects that have come across our way have been really amazing. So I've used our, we've had sort of a funny, a a bit of lockdown and a bit of freedom in Bali, you know, you can't have full lockdowns here. But, you know, the opportunities that open up when you get into the headspace of embracing what is, have been amazing. So I've had this great opportunity to connect in with the high school students at Green School and help them to decide what they want to do with their life. And that's been such a blessing for me. You know, it's almost an evolution of my business as well for expanding out beyond what that was. Uh, I think when we spoke last time, we talked about, you know, the health challenges and how my consulting business, which is called Rethink Health, really honed in on how our physiology connects with our psychology and our emotional health. But of course, you know, my background in preventative health, I was seeing all these people coming to me at the broken end of their life in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And I'm teaching them these principles that I'd applied in my own life that had worked for me and seeing some extraordinary transformations. And I thought, why don't we teach this at school? Why do we wait till we're, you know, <laughs> broken at the broken end of our life in our, you know, the midlife crisis where it all unravels and we wait for the trauma to teach us what's going on? What if we were to equip young people with these tools just before they embark on their journey outside the school gates? What if we give them those tools to navigate through? the difficulties and the uncertainty that are inevitably going to come. So this opportunity opened up for me and I created a program for the kids and that's now evolved into a book that I've just written. Amazing, amazing, amazing. What has the feedback from the students been like in regards to what you do with them? Positive or apathetic? Because teenagers can be a tough audience. Oh, teenagers are the toughest audience, (laughs) as I'm sure you well remember. (laughs) I'm not a teacher. I don't have formal education qualifications. In fact, I dropped out of university. Here's the classic story, you know. I'm teaching kids what to do with their life from a perspective of having dropped out in my time, you know. I mean, I then dropped back into other things, of course. But, yeah, you walk into a classroom and you're just faced with a bit of everything. And, you know, you've got smart-ass kids that want to try and trip the teacher up, you know, who think they know better. And I actually am just really upfront with them. I tell them straight up, I'm not a teacher, but this is what I do and this is what we're going to talk about. And they give me some unbelievably, for their age group at Green School, some unbelievably complex questions, which I encourage. So I tap into that sort of that needing to know that they have that curiosity and I just embrace it. I just, I let it be whatever it needs to be. I don't have a rigid format. I have a program that I've written obviously in the curriculum, but we just allow that to be what it needs to be for the kids that are in the classroom at the time. I think I have like 19 kids in this class, which is kind of challenging. (laughs) I thought I was going to get five. (laughs) 
I think that's a lot. It's a lot for a tiny little school that Green School is, you yeah. know, has shrunk into with the pandemic and across different age groups from year 10, 11 and 12. And so they're at slightly different stages. But it's it's very much about them, meeting them where they're at. What do they need to hear? What tools do they need to go out into the world with? And what matters most to them? So that's what we explore. Half the course is very much about rational thinking. The other half of the course is very intuitive. And I marry both those things in together. So, you know, we mm. touch on quantum physics and particle theory. We talk about... You do? Yeah. They need to know how the world works. And so we... Sorry, sorry, sorry to jump in there because, you know, because I obviously I work in the school system and the role of what you're doing effectively could be something a careers advisor does. And the conversations that career, most careers advisors are having with young people are, well, what university do you want to go to? And, or do you want to get an apprenticeship and be a tradesperson? Or, you know, you've, or where are you going to study at? Basically, there's no, very little discussion around, well, what's your deeper purpose in life? What do you want to bring to this world? And so would you say that you're taking that approach more so than that traditional approach? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, you've just nailed it. So there's typically careers advisors or I think a lot of times they're called pathways people, pathways Pathways. teams now, and they're talking about your path, which is your path. And you're right. Most of the time the path is what's your path to university going to look like or what's your path Mm. to further study going to look like? You know, sometimes I might talk about apprenticeships, but rarely. There's a step missing before you get to that stage of, who even are you as a person? So I like to call my program a pre-pathways program. So going back and answering your previous question on what was the feedback from the kids, the feedback was phenomenal, like actually blew me away. I knew that there was a need for this, just knowing how anxious kids are these days. I didn't realize how deep the need was. You know, I didn't know, I hadn't read the research at that point in time. Now that I've just literally delved into research across Australia, America, the UK and Europe. It is phenomenally scary to know that there's, you know, 70% of kids describe that they have a mental health issue or have suffered from anxiety. There's 68% of kids have no clue what they're going to do when they leave school. The feedback that's coming through some of these research bodies is just frightening. And so when I exposed myself to that, I went, oh, that actually is a really big need. You know, and being at Green School, which is an alternative approach to education, a very supportive, nurturing environment, I actually didn't think these kids would really need what I have to talk about. I thought, oh, they're just going to breeze through this stuff. They'll kind of probably know, already know what I'm going to say, <laughs> and they'll be just fine. But even within that environment, which is fantastic education and a beautiful place to learn, there still exists that anxiety, definitely not to the extent I'm sure that it is outside of, you know, the bubble of green school in Bali, but this the not knowing of what lies ahead that creates so much anxiety for these kids And, you know, I mean, not just kids, let's face it, the whole world's been plunged into insecurity and anxiety and uncertainty with COVID. It just literally changed every aspect of life as we knew it. Uh, So that's exacerbated the problem. You know, they've got the underlying issue of the eco-anxiety that they fear, you know, with climate change and what's going on in the world combined with this, combined with a rapidly changing world. And we're trying to slot kids into careers to somehow fit them into boxes and make sense to what we've always done. And when I look at the stats and what the stats are showing me and what, well, what I hear when I speak to students, actually, more than the stats, the research is always interesting, but when I actually tap in and speak to the kids that I know and that I'm around and my kids are now 17 and 20, so I've been immersed in this sort of space for a while You know, our conversations around the dining table have been so interesting for years with our children on what they're going to do and do they have to go to uni and why would they go and rack up a massive debt with the government that they don't even really want to study? And is there going to be a job at the end of their three-year course? And Or is the course going to be out of date by the time they finished? And what is the world going to look like in, you know, three years? All these questions come up and to start their life from a space of, a little bit more understanding of who they are before they step out into that and have to make those decisions, I think is really sensible. It makes it makes so much sense would to be, me. Would it be safe to say that you help them discover like what their strengths and weaknesses are? 
and help them identify the areas of interest, even personal interest areas? Absolutely. Yeah, that's all part of it. These are all pieces of the puzzle. You know, I mean, when you ask that open-ended question, who are who are we? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not going to be answered in a 12-week course at high school. <laughs> right, like most people don't actually ask themselves that question until they're in their sort of mid-20s or, or early 30s when they, like, I know I didn't. No, people don't ask themselves those questions until their life starts to go wrong or until they, when things break down, you get sick, divorced, you get broke, you lose your business, something happens, that's when you start asking the questions. So my question is, why are we not asking those hard questions earlier on in life? We don't need the answers, but let's just at least start asking the questions. To me, life is so much more about the questions than it is about the answers. I don't have all the answers. So the kids choose to come to my class. It's all elective based. So they, you know, I have to pitch the class and they decide if it's for them, which I love the system, that system. They come with an expectation. Oh, wow. I'm going to sort my life out in six weeks. (laughs) The reality of that is, is actually, that's not what happens, of course. But they learn some really essential tools. And this is why I've now written a book because, of course, I want it to go out beyond just the 19 children in my class this year to out beyond where people really need to learn these tools to navigate not just what they're going to do when they finish school, but what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You know, there are many crossroads Mm. in life, not just at year 12. And, you know, life doesn't happen in a straight line. It really doesn't. It's full of twists and turns. And having something to help you navigate the inevitability of the twists and turns, I think is really helpful. So is it coming to a place of acceptance that the only certain thing is uncertainty? That is part of it. That's absolutely part of it. Being okay with not being okay. How do you do that? Because that's the reality of life. I heard a great quote the other day and it was, greatness can be defined by the way in which you adapt to the things you cannot control. And it just really stuck with me because there is so many things we can't we can't control and we often let, I know I do, I can only speak from personal experience, I let those things consume me to the point of sickness sometimes and, and also complete despair, whereas I'm really personally working on this notion of like, well, accept the things I, ca- I can't change and, and change the things I can. And I think that mindset shift has been one of the most crucial changes in terms of personal progression. Would you agree with that? Or Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, there's so many great quotes that I've peppered through my book. One of them is, the road to success is continually under construction. Oh, yeah, nice. A great Lily Tomlin, that's her quote. There's another quote by a Japanese guy whose name is Kazuko. I think it's something like Okakuro Kazuko. I hope I'm saying that right. And his quote is, the art of life is a constant readjustment to our surroundings. And so how do you do that? Like what are the actual things that you do? So that's what I talk about and that's what I teach is how do you live in that space? It's all very well to know that in your headspace. And I really feel like the, you know, the personal development industry over the last few years has been all about telling us what to do. You must do this and you must think that and you must have a growth mindset and you must understand that life is about how you see it. Well, how do you do that when you're 16 or 30 or 60? (laughs) What are the practical tools? What are the questions you ask yourself? And this was my journey, the 20 years of chronic pain that I went through. That was a journey of uncertainty for me. You know, now that I have the beautiful gift of hindsight and I can sit and connect all the dots and pull all those threads of the tapestry of life together and, you know, and realize that our life is a tapestry. One side is a beautiful picture. The other side is a chaotic mess of knots and doesn't make sense, but you can't have one side without the other. So the 20 years that I went through and the lessons that I learned through that, you know, I either had a lot to learn and I learned some really deep stuff But it took such a long time, you know, I'm sort of like, God, if I knew what I knew now during that time, I could have maybe shrunk it into one year (laughs) instead of going through 20 years. And it was going back to what you talked about before, instead of resisting what is, 
or trying to fix and change it actually because my mindset was very much as an alternative health professional, as a naturopath, I was working in the space of nutrition predominantly, you know, and I thought, oh, you can just fix everything with your gut. Just fix your gut and everything in your life is perfect. Well, I did that and I applied my medicine and I got sicker. And that was my gift to go deeper onto this metaphysical level and see what's beyond the physical. I'm going to jump in there to help some people clarify, like, can you maybe sort of give us a definition of what, when you talk about metaphysical, are we talking about beyond the mind? Are we talking about spirituality or are we talking about the mind-body connect or both? I love your questions, Shannon. It's so great talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think I'm on the spot, but no, just for it. those that are. Yeah, no, great, great question. Metaphysical literally is the Greek word meta for beyond and physical for physical. So it's pretty much beyond the physical. Really depends how you want to define spirituality. You know, to me, spirituality is tuning into who you are and honoring that part of you. It's very much about your intuition and acknowledging you as being beyond just a physical person. So the metaphysical to me, you know, when I I did a big deep dive into studying anything I could get my hands on in order for me to, you know, get better, was anything that goes beyond our five senses. So we try to, you know, as human beings, we love to package things and label things and put things into neat boxes. We love doing that. You know, when you're sick, you love when you get a diagnosis. Now, I never had a diagnosis for 20 years, so I never could have a way to fix it was a really interesting journey. When I look back through that journey and I'm like, no one could ever define what was going on with me. Nobody could say, oh, it's this autoimmune disease or it's this neurological thing. And I did every kind of test you can imagine. Nobody could pinpoint it and nobody could really help. And I I did everything from orthopedic surgeons to wacko (laughs) alternative therapies. It was me going into who I was and unraveling from the idea of what I thought my life needed to look like to what it actually is. So it was a journey to authenticity. How painful was that? Yeah, it was pretty painful. I mean, you know. Why was it painful? (laughs) Well, apart from the physical pain of waking up four or five days a week with a knife through my head of a migraine. Amazing. And then realising that, you know, whatever plans I'd made for that day, I had to shelve. I learned to delegate. And the blessing in that was I created that this amazing business where I worked about two hours a week and was very lucratively paid for that and became very good at being able to offload things and find other people to pull into my team. When I was laid up in bed with a migraine, I, you know, it was forced me to do that from being the control freak that I was. <laughs> it was a great blessing. But, yeah, the pain of realising that my mindset, the way that I'd lived my life for so long and thought that I was okay, there was still stuff to work through. I mean, that was probably less painful than the actual physical pain when I look at that because the realizations came very quickly to me once I opened up my perspective. Once I started looking outside the box and I thought, what if our emotions do create physiological symptoms? took me a very long time to realize that because I was so rigidly entrenched in how nutrition fixes us because I have such a deep understanding of biochemistry and I just love it. I love the body and I think it's still wise to eat well. But I had created associations in my brain which created the food intolerance. Once I really understood that and I was like, man, I'm so powerful that I created that condition in my body was a humbling experience for me to realize that I'd done that because I was trying to blame the food or I was trying to blame the conditions or I was trying to blame something outside of me. Once I made the decision that, okay, nothing outside of me is making any difference or fixing me, I went in. That was the only place left for me to go. I literally tried everything, 20 years, you know. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy. And the only place left was for me to go in and face what I thought were going to be some demons. As it turned out, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> it really wasn't. You know, it was. It still took about three years to unravel from that stuff. I can imagine. I'm not yeah. 20. I'm, you know, my 50s and it, it took me a while because there was stuff there. But 
unraveling from that rigid way of thinking, unraveling from thinking I was right or I needed things to look a certain way. It was to me, it was a complete undoing of everything that I thought worked in the world. What do you say to someone? Sorry to jump in there, but what do you say to someone who has really rigid thinking, behavior patterns that have just been developed from years of trauma, years of avoiding, maybe years of, uh, I guess, addiction to substances or shopping or consumerism? Where do you start with people like that to help them break those those rigid sort of thoughts and behaviors? Like, what do you say to them? I mean, uh, uh, is that a really bad question? Is that an open-ended question? But... No, that's a really good question. But firstly, I don't say anything to anyone unless they ask me to. You know, I'm not here okay. to tell anybody anything or to convince anyone of anything. I'm here literally to share what worked for me. And I had such mm. a deep journey that I feel compelled to share it. And so, you know, there's an old saying, when the teacher's ready, the student will appear. And when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And this is now how I live my life. And the people that need me come along. They somehow find me. And the students that I need also come along. I mean, I never planned to be teaching this course or writing a course for green school students. (laughs) I planned Mm. to come to Bali and have a really fun time here while my son was finishing school. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm still having a fun time. Don't get me wrong. This is actually extraordinarily fulfilling. I would be doing nothing else in my life. This is actually just exactly where I want to be right now. So I, the people who are ready to hear it are the people that need to hear it. I never try and change anybody. There's no point. No one needs changing. We're all here in exactly the capacity we need to be in. And we're all on the planet at the right time. It doesn't seem like that. That's the chaos on the back of the tapestry. It doesn't seem like that's right. And we can look at the world and we can try and pull apart what's wrong with it. But when you pull back and you dig down through the layers, it's such an incredible journey to do that. And that was my life. That was pulling back all those layers of my life and finding the hidden order and finding how it all fitted together. And it's not an easy journey. It's definitely not an easy thing. And it's not, not everybody's ready for it. And that's okay. You know, that's totally fine. We all need each other right where we are at the moment when we drill down and ask the right questions. So I'm, you know, I let the people wait till they're ready. The people that need to read my book will read it. It's not for everybody. But this is a paradigm shift that you undergo when you, I mean, I had great motivation for discovering more in my life because I was in so much pain. And that's the purpose of the pain was to, drive me to the point or, you know, take me to the point where I could have this level of understanding in my life. And it's been the biggest blessing. So you find purpose in pain. You ask that question. Yeah. That's mm, good. Yeah. I find, I look for the purpose in everything and connecting the purpose is really the bottom line to this whole thing, you know, and understanding what you're going to do in life is so tied into your purpose, what you're here for. And rather than the cliche of finding your purpose, which I can't, I don't like, I don't like to use that phrase. I like to look at life instead of having one big purpose. I like to find lots of purposeful, tiny little moments that string together that then create our purpose. So I like to join Mm. the dots looking forward. Okay. And do you reflect on the past much or are you more focused in the future? I like to use the past. I think the past is really helpful when you, you know, when you look back and you see a thread. I have an exercise in my book called Mapping Your Thread and it takes you back through your life, the different stages, and you look at things. So, for example, in my life, when I was young, I used to love building Lego houses. The only thing I built with Lego was houses. And then I drew houses and I was always rearranging my bedroom. And much to my mum's disgust, I'd come in and rearrange the lounge room and clean up the kitchen and (laughs) that was my thing. I've ended up marrying and, and I wanted to, then I wanted to do interior design at uni and I didn't get the grades. So I completely had a different track, went off and did a different thing, but I ended up becoming a, you know, sort of an accidental interior designer because I married an architect and we've done now 30 projects together. 
So I've had this amazing opportunity to, you know, use that creative talent and what I love doing. And when I look back in my life and, and map my thread, I see that as one of my little threads of my little tapestry. And that's, you know, that's really interesting. So noticing the things you do as a child, the types of books that you like to read, what you do around the house, how you fill your spare time, what you think about, what the internal chit chat is, what you always seem to be able to find money for. Like, how do you fill your time and space? What do you focus your energy on? These are the questions that we piece together and start to give us clues. I think the past is great. Hindsight is amazing. It gives us clues as we look forward. I think insight is also really important. You know, what lies ahead is very much determined by what lies within. And I think that piece is the missing piece in the school program, particularly. You know, I think there are some amazing pathways and careers programs out there. There's, you know, there's some terrible ones and there's some non-existent ones, but there also are some great ones that really do look at that and matching. So when we really discover what matters, my focal point in the program is what matters to each child. Find out what matters to you. That'll change through your life. And that's okay. That's why there's not just one big purpose, but find out what matters to you right now in this slice of time, in this moment, what matters most to you. And when you allow yourself to do that, you're going to be so fulfilled. Your purpose is going to evolve from embracing those moments. That's Sally. So good. So good. You know, one thing I've learned too is that young people really engage with those big picture conversations. They love them. They love having those big picture conversations. They do as opposed to learning about specific content. Like, I know that's necessary, but they don't, like, whenever you start talking about, like, you know, the meaning of life or, you know, like the, your meaning or your purpose or what's going to happen after school and where you see yourself in the future, I just see their eyes light up. Like, they really tune into those discussions. And I agree. Like, I'm so glad to hear you say this. I, I think there needs to be way more of it in education. I mean, I think somewhere like the Green School, I mean, they're probably more open to those conversations, but there's a lot of educational systems that are a bit more rigid in that respect and I know that you understand that as well so oh, sorry I was just gonna say my kids went to school in Australia for a while so you know the established traditional curriculum in Australia doesn't leave any room for that conversation it's very content driven content it's content driven not even skills driven you know and I think we need to have a shift and when you you know there's so many amazing books around that have been written like this you know there's there's a guy in South Australia who's he's written a book about the changing education in Australia actually I think it's called changing education something like that he talks about this you know that we need a shift in education and so this is where I'm coming from it's like let's bring a a heart-centered approach to education we're educating children and what's at the heart of education is not necessarily content the heart of education is people and these people are our future and what are we equipping Mm -hmm. them for We're equipping them for a future that's based on our experience of the past. We're not equipping them for the unknown. We're not equipping them for the uncertain. We're not equipping them for things that haven't even been thought of or imagined yet. And so when you start asking those questions and digging beneath the surface of what's always been and the established, you know, accepted way, it becomes a really interesting conversation to have. So how did the book come about just quickly, Sal? Like, so... You've obviously been running this program, but how did you then go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put this all into a book? Is that, is that how it sort of came about? Or I've sort of had a few book ideas floating around in my head for a while. I've just not had the time or space to sit down and write, which is why, you know, Bali's been such an amazing blessing for me to actually put this stuff on paper. I had great feedback from the first time I did this course and the kids were, the, you know, they was, they were, one kid said to me, oh, my God, this needs to be in every school. Every child needs this. You know, that's coming from a 16-year-old student was a really validating thing. You know, not that I get my validation from 16-year-olds necessarily, but (laughs) it was was validating, I suppose, the the content of what I was trying to convey was, oh, did did it land for you? You know, is what I'm saying important or necessary? And what's the purpose of what I'm talking about? And, you know, starting this conversation and allowing it to unfold into whatever it's going to look like in the future. But let's have this conversation and let's start to become more heart-centered and 
look into who you are. And I have a little exercise in the book where we flip who then how. We're often, you know, human beings are like, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to do that? And how's my future going to look? And I like to, you know, flip the letters to being who. Well, who are you being? The paradox of life is, you know, I mean, well, the gift of uncertainty is that we learn to trust. That's the bottom line. We can't get rid of uncertainty. So how do we navigate through it? We learn how to trust. We learn where the certainty is and we learn where to tap into that, which is what the book is about. Where is the certainty? And, you know, and how do you then marry that in with what's going on in the outside world? You know, you have to really almost step in to who you are in order to become that. Yes. You know, in order for me to be a writer, I had to step into being a writer in order to write, if that makes sense. Mm. And it was the process of, I mean, I'm not a writer. I'm not trained in creative writing. I'm, I'm like, I don't even know how you do this. But I found somebody to give, I did a course, a book writing course, which was amazing um, for a month and learned some stuff. And then I just kind of went for it. And, I, and I've written and the book will be published, I hope, by the end of the year. So the verdict, you can tell me if you think I'm a good writer or not. When you yes, oh, definitely. <laughs> but I've had so many people over the years. I mean, I have written a lot of articles. I've written for my own clients. I've put booklets together. Mm-hmm. I wrote a booklet called Thriving in Challenge for my own clients when COVID hit. It's not like I've never written anything before. Um, I've had lots mm. of people over the years say, oh, I'd love you to write a book on this or can you write a book on the, the migraine thing? People have asked me to write a book on migraines. I haven't haven't got around to doing that <laughs> I don't know. You were talking about it before we recorded. You said that you have had people ask you about your migraine and maybe migraine, you know, situation for years and that you could you put it into a book. You said that you didn't want to be pigeonholed that way? Yeah, I don't want to be labelled migraine woman, you know. <laughs> oh, she's the migraine woman. That's right, you know. Yeah. And look, it was it was a big chunk of my life. It was 20 years. Maybe I should embrace that. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be avoiding that whole thing. But, I, yeah, look, I think at some point maybe it's going to be another book. I don't know. When I get bored one day up on Hamilton Island, maybe I'll write that one. I see you as a really motivated, inspired person, you know, and you did have, you know, the years and years of suffering. At what point did you decide to not give up? Like, did you have times where you just felt like giving up on life in that time? But my question is, like, at what point did you go, no, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to embark on the journey? Like, was there a specific moment that you had where you just decided never, not to give up on it and getting better? Yeah, there was actually several of those moments. I, I had very, oh, yeah. yeah, it's not like you go to rock bottom and then you come back. I went to rock bottom a few times. I mean, you know, in 20 years, it's easy to just kind of like bandy off, oh, 20 years. It was 20 years. <laughs> it's a lot of days. <laughs> I've never done the maths on the days and maths is definitely not yeah. a strong point of mine. <laughs> but yeah, it was tough. And I think that's why I've got so good at understanding the nature of uncertainty because my life was so uncertain. I had to learn to live with that cloud hanging over me. What if I wake up with a migraine tomorrow? I'm having to wow. on my plans. It was literally like living in a black cloud. And if I, you know, four or five days out of seven every week would be migraine days. And so I'd be living on eggshells, hoping not to get a migraine. That was the worst point. There was probably about three or four years that went on that bad before, you know, it was a slow journey to becoming that bad. It wasn't 20 years of that, but yeah, it was enough to take me to a very dark black place. And I'm just so grateful I had my husband around and my children. You know, that was definitely my reason for keeping going. I thought, what is, you know, I asked myself that question, what am I doing here? So many times during that, that time, I wasn't just lying in bed doing nothing. I, I, we renovated probably 20 houses and we traveled and I had three or four businesses on the go at any one time and teams of staff. And the busyness was probably the other saving factor in my life. You know, the fact that I just learned to keep going. I found some very strong drugs that helped <laughs> quite a lot to get me through. And, you know, from a holistic background where I cleaned my house with lemon juice and vinegar to taking hardcore pharmaceutical drugs, went against the grain very deeply, but it was, you know, I needed to do that. And so, you know, that was also a great learning curve for me just to go, you do what works in life. It dissolved the judgment that I had around that stuff. The needing to be fixed was probably the biggest paradigm shift I came to. 
when I came to that understanding of there's nothing to fix, that was like the big light bulb moment for me of going, there's nothing to fix. I'm not broken. The reason that we think there's something to fix is because we have such a fantasy hold on so tightly to everything looking perfect. We feel like we need to be in control and we need our life to look a certain way and then it's all going to be okay. And that's not life. Life is, you know, COVID has taught us that beyond anything. Life does not fit into this neat package that we want it to or we're trying to make it fit or we expect it to. Mm. And when you really allow yourself to understand that, that took me a long time to really get that, you know, because I was overachieving A-type personality, very overly productive. You know, I mean, I'm exhausted when I look back at what I've done in my life. (laughs) You know, that personality type is very prone to getting migraines, actually. So that's a really interesting thing. And it boiled down to being an internal conflict in me between what I thought my life needed to look like or should look like, and it actually then coming back into who I really was and embracing what it really is and realizing the magnificence of who I already am is far greater than anything that I can try and turn it into. Interesting. That's what I've always found intriguing about you and your family. I mean, especially like you've achieved maybe some things that society would deem as very successful, you know, successful businesses, you know, like flipping houses for many years. And I went to your beautiful property in, in, in Byron and it was just amazing. And, um, you know, some, some people would say that that's the end goal and you've achieved that. And then I see you and, and then it was like, no, well, I'm not attached to these things. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, and do you become attached to, sorry to cut you off there, but do you become attached to your past achievements? Do you become attached to material possessions? Do you become attached to money? That's a really good question. I don't become attached to it, but I also like having it. Okay. But I understand the principle of, I live by the, the laws of the universe and the laws of nature. Whenever I can't figure something out, I go back to nature, like Einstein. Okay. Look deeply into nature and you will discover everything. And this has been my journey actually is unraveling from what I came, you know, out of thinking, my rigid thinking to, well, nature seems to be working quite nicely. How does that work? So I did a big study into what are the laws of the universe? Where do they come from? What are they based on? How does physics work? And so understanding that everything is energy in motion and it's constantly changing. Nothing is ever fixed, but as human beings, We have this need to fix everything and to make everything solid. And, you know, this is where I get into the quantum area of the physical world being an illusion. And, you know, the only reason it's an illusion is because of the narrow bandwidth that we have in our eyesight that allows us to see things in physical form. If we could see beyond the narrow bandwidth that we have of whatever the terahertz are or whatever it is, I think, can't remember the numbers now, we see this limited vision. This is the metaphysical going beyond our five senses. When you go beyond what you can see, that's when you start to discover there's so much more out there. And, you know, we know a bit more. I mean, there's how much more is there to know than we really do know. And, you know, your question before about do I, you know, focus on the past or the future? Of course, I'm focused on both of those at certain times, but focusing in the present moment is where the power is. And that doesn't mean that I sit on a yoga mat meditating for hours a day. I rarely do that, actually. (laughs) But I've built these processes into my life and these questions that I ask myself and the paradigm shift that is constantly shifting and understanding that we are energy is at the basis of everything else. So when you're attached to stuff and allowing the stuff to then define you, you actually imprison yourself. See, that's a big call for someone like you to say. I'm sorry because, like, for example, again, I'll go back to your house in Byron Bay. I I mean, it was amazing. I loved it. And I can't believe you sold it. I was like, if I sold a property like that, I would just be, I'd be devastated because it was so unique. And so, I mean, that view, like overlooking Byron Bay, I mean, people, that's like the dream. And then for you to just have the the courage to go, I'm going to let that go, I just was really blown away by that. Well, I probably could never have got to that stage in my life had I not gone through, you know, the 20 years of pain that I went through because you can have all the stuff in the world, 
But when you wake up with a migraine driving through your head, none of it matters. Gotcha. You know, the gift that the suffering brings is often what we miss. It's the goal. There is a gift in everything in life when you take the time to look for it. It's just that we don't take the time. We have a judgment on what our life is supposed to look like. And if it doesn't match up to this expectation that we have, we then label it disappointing, depression, you know, fear, tragedy, failure. Failure is never failure. Failure is just a step towards success. And then when you redefine success, what is success? Success to me is not having all the stuff. I love the stuff. I love earning lots of money. I love I love all of that. I mean, here I am. Would you say you attract that abundance? Did then all of a sudden you attract the abundance? Well, I think you, this comes back to that law of manifestation, which is a pet hate of mine. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast, Shannon. We could do a dissection on that. Let's go. Let's What's do it. missing in that law of manifestation? Oh, my God. There's so much more than the stuff. Yes. Not that the stuff I don't want. I mean, I I love it. We're getting a boat built in Germany at the moment that will be shipped to Australia and, you know, will sit in the marina outside my veranda. You know, it's amazing to, to have the ability to do these incredible things and pursue what's important to you, you know. My husband's always wanted to have a yacht. And I've always gone no because I'm a bricks and mortar. You know, I'm like, that's a that's not a very sensible decision to have. A boat sitting floating, costing millions of dollars on the water. But I did joke with him and I said, okay, the only way we can have a boat is if I can see it from the front veranda, you know, as a sort of a throwaway line one time. And, of course, I do have to be careful what I say to my husband. (laughs) But, I, you know, the principles that I I live by now, honestly, I don't live by this 24-7, believe me. I I still have days where I feel like the whole world's falling in on me and, you know, I definitely don't have it all together but I have the tools to be able to get through those times, you know, and I think the unraveling of my life to the point where I was so undone and I had no control over what was happening has been such an amazing gift in my life to not need to hang on to that stump, to then ask that question, okay, what am I doing here? That was the question I asked actually more than who am I? The question when I was in bed in a ball of pain, completely unfunctioning and useless to my family, whereby they actually then became super capable. I have these great capable children. So, you know, my parenting tip is neglect your children. They become really capable. (laughs) (laughs) That's their journey. That's their journey. That's what, that's their experience. I could not be this perfect mother that I had envisioned I was going to be when I was incapable of getting out of bed. And they just... They just rose to the occasion. They had no choice. I mean, I had an amazing husband. I was very, I'm very blessed to have Dean in my life. He's been a real rock for me. But I ultimately, ultimately it was my journey. You know, he was supportive and he was practically, he was there and it was great. But it was my journey to, you know, what am I doing here? And that was the question. And then that led me to the deeper question of who am I? I mean, you know, that's a deep question. It's who are we individually as human beings, as unique people on the planet? unique to anyone that's ever walked before us, unique to anyone that's ever going to walk after us. Who are we collectively as part of the human race? Who are we physically, spiritually, you know, beyond what we can see? Who are we mentally and emotionally? And when you start to really break all those things down, that was my area of study predominantly was understanding human potential. And my course that I write at the school is called Seeds of Greatness and teaching kids that the seeds of greatness live inside all of us and the process of how you enable those seeds to start to grow and germinate and thrive is really the book. How you water those seeds. I love that. So when do you foresee that it will be published and and how can people maybe, you know, get access to it? Via your website or...? Yeah, via a website I'm in the middle of making at the moment. Um, (laughs) It's all all such a big process, you know. I've already had I've already had a couple of people ask me for my program if I can teach in the schools, and I'm like, well, can I just, you know, can I finish this first and get the book published? So I'm hoping, kind of by the end of the year, I'd love to have it all finalised and available for purchase, and then I can write the adult version that people are now asking me for. So that's, that's the next one. Yeah. So there'll be, there'll be an adult version because this is very much to teenagers. This is very much, what are your next steps beyond the school gates? It's very much talking to that situation. 
But of course, you know, we all go through this same thing. So yeah, there's another one in the process as well. I've kind of been tandemly writing them, but I'm now very focused on the kids version. And, you know, it'll be a book that you can buy for your child or grandchild when they're in that time and space, you know, not just for high schoolers, but even people who've just left school or people at uni who are unsure of where they want to go. But it's also, I'm hoping it will also become part of curriculum for schools. I'd love to see this start to, you know, make its way into schools, maybe alternative schools to start with. We'll take it up, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, building that website at the moment. But I guess if you really want to have a copy and you want to do a pre-sale, you can connect with me via my consulting business, sally at rethinkhealth.com.au. Amazing. And I'll, um, I'll put a link to that in this episode's show notes. So if you scroll down, you'll find the link to Sally's um, platform handles and, and you can reach out to her and connect with her. I'm sure that you'd be open to, you know, some discussions with people around this stuff because I think it's such a, a wonderful concept that the world needs more of. We need more of these things, you know. So thank you, Sal, for, for your effort in doing that. I want to go off on a bit of a tangent now. just on a practical sense, like, can you just give us a snapshot of Bali now, post-pandemic, post-lockdown? What's the vibe like on the streets there since the fact that people can't visit? How would you say it is? That depends a lot on where you go. If you're in Changu, which is pretty much where all the expats that were left on the island have gone to, it's still okay. I mean, it's quiet. If I had to choose one word for Bali now, I would literally just say quiet which is not a word I would have ever used to describe Bali, really. So hard to fathom. You know, you can you, you can find quiet moments, of course, and, you know, there's hundreds of retreats that used to go on here in, you know, in beautiful spaces that are quiet, but typically Bali is not a quiet place. But out on the street, definitely not quiet. The traffic is honestly some days non-existent. I can literally get on my scooter and hoon along at 70 or 80 k's an hour quite safely on my tiny yeah. little, my tiny scoop is struggling, I must admit, at 80. <laughs> it's shaking. But certain areas are completely, completely, I would just say devastated. You know, if you drive through Kuta, I don't know if you've seen, you know, videos of people doing that. Literally the shops are just, all the doors are down, it's all boarded up. It's like a ghost town and it is so sad. So, you know, mm. Seminyak, Kuda, Legian, which used to be just so vibrant and bustling, mm. there's nothing. Those families have all moved back to their bigger families, their origins, their villages where they came from, um, and all the shops are just sitting there. So many things are falling into disrepair, you know, hotels and restaurants, and they're literally just crumbling. There are a few hot spots around the island. There are people who've still manage to struggle along with their businesses and maintain them. Mm. Um, but, yeah, somehow the people here have this resilience that they dig into and being here at this point in time has actually just been such an amazing blessing for me personally, seeing life from their perspective, you know, because much as people say, oh, the pandemic, it's been the leveller across humanity. We've all experienced it and we've all had this experience we actually have only experienced it through our own filter and our own experience. And I'm very different to somebody down the street who was relying on a warung selling to tourists. There are no tourists. There's almost hardly, there's, there's hardly any expats here because they just, the borders have actually just reopened yesterday, which we're so excited about. We can get people back. Oh, in social so amazing. Yes. <laughs> that is so amazing to have these people be able to come back in. But, yeah, the last probably three months has been extremely, extraordinarily quiet, eerily quiet, actually, for Bali. And so many businesses have closed down. Sorry, do you enjoy it to an extent, though, that quietness, or do you, do you want the chaos back? I think somewhere in the middle of all of that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I just, I go with the flow. What can you do? You know, I, I love going for my walks through the rice field, and it's super quiet. I, will, I mean, I was the only person walking on the beach this morning at Sese. I mean, that's extraordinary. So I'm, you know, I've, I have enjoyed that, but I also see economically the devastation for the people here. You know, it's so hard from a Western perspective to even imagine what that feels like, you know, to see yeah. one that has a lifestyle. We're very set up now, you know. I mean, I don't need to work. We have great income. Australia, the economy has been generating income and we've been really grateful to We've had ups and downs through the pandemic, but, you know, we've set ourselves up really well. 
so that we can Mm. have this lifestyle and we've worked hard to do that. But yeah, to be in a position where you have no fallback, you have no government assistance, you can't do lockdown here because you don't even have a fridge to buy food to keep for a week. Everything's day by day in Bali, so it doesn't work. Gathering together in ceremonies and communities is how the Balinese live. They live communally. You know, you can't lock these people down. It really doesn't work. So they've tried to have some regulation and restrictions around all of that and, you know, the mask wearing and all that sort of stuff. But look, I think it comes down to the essence of, I mean, COVID has been such an interesting time around the world. How do you define health? You know, people are talking about, we're doing this in the interest of public health. I'm like, well, define to me what public health means. Does that mean locking people away? away from each other and away from their families and away from their support networks because we're so afraid, generating paranoia and fear, to me, doesn't seem very healthy. Because that's my question to you. I want to get your experience a bit because I know the COVID situation has been vastly different to Australia. I mean, we have daily cases, but they're nowhere near in the realm compared to that of Bali and Indonesia where they're having thousands and thousands every day. Now that you've, like, have you actually witnessed people sick with COVID over there? You have one. You had it. And, yeah, I've had this. Friends of ours have had it, and I think probably my whole family's had it. We don't all go rushing off to get tested every time we sneeze. <laughs> and I, yeah. How was it? I had a fever for two days and a headache, and mm. then I was coughing for two weeks, and I lost my sense of smell and taste, and I didn't eat, and I lost loads of weight, and it was great. <laughs> But I mean, being sick is not great. And, you know, I mean, it hasn't been everybody's experience. Some people have really suffered, you know, and they don't have the support. When I was sick, I was sick really probably for about five days I was sick. And I just had the ability to be able to lie in bed and drink coconut water. And I could just Mm -hmm. stay there. I didn't have to go out or do anything. That's not everybody's experience, you know, and some people don't have money to go and buy vitamins or, you know, yeah. they don't have the support around them. So, you know, there's there's definitely some tragic stories in this whole thing. And I just, I feel like it's a real balance. It's a balancing act. And I'm really glad I haven't been in a government position having to make decisions because there really is no right or wrong in this situation. You know, it's very easy to sit on the on the sidelines and point your finger and judge at what governments should or shouldn't have done. And hindsight is very valuable in these situations. You know, looking at Australia, I look at the economy and how on earth are they going to support the welfare that they've been dishing out? Suddenly they found money for all the welfare and money for the vaccines and money for all this, but they couldn't find money at the beginning to bring in more medical equipment to cope with if there was an influx of, you know, the need at hospitals. So you can look at the prevention. My perspective on life is very much about prevention, right? And that's what I do. I equip people with tools. Doesn't mean you're not going to go through tough stuff, but you're going to have the tools to cope when you go through it. Gotcha. And so does it not make more sense to go, okay, we might have a bunch of sick people. We might have thousands of sick people. Let's invest in the equipment, the medical equipment and facilities that we need. And they still haven't done that. They still haven't learned from this. There will be other pandemics. There'll be more things that come out of this. It's not like we're not going to get everyone vaccinated and then there's never going to be another thing. This is my, my personal belief is this is a warm up for the real thing, actually. Not that I'm being alarmist, but I, you know, when I look at what's what's been the purpose of COVID, what did it come here for? What was the reason for it? And if we're just trying to shut it down with a yes. quick fix that we love to do, it'll come back in a different, maybe even a different form. It'll come back in a different form. Interesting. So you think there should be more investment in infrastructure? Well, what's the biggest issue been in the pandemic is everyone was worried about hospitals being overrun. That was why... They initiated the lockdown. So we just need to lock down the population to control the, you know, manage what's going on in hospitals. Well, let's come up with an emergency plan that if we have something like this happening in the future, we can all of a sudden at the drop of a hat erect emergency medical facilities for people, just like they do at wartime. I mean, it's like look at wartime, what happens. And so I know that sounds very simplistic and it's very easy to, you know, looking from the outside of this situation and sort of, make blanket statements about COVID when, you know, individual situations are very different. I mean, you know, depending on your view of death depends on your attitude to why you think COVID's even here. So that's an interesting topic. (laughs) Very good. 
yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I like to I like to get people's perspectives on it because it is part of history, and you know I think people are allowed to share their their perspectives and their lived experiences with it without judgment and without ridicule as well. Because I'm finding more and more there's such a division amongst people with their with their views on it, and I really hope that I hope being right isn't the most important thing. I hope that empathy and for one another is that becomes the most important aspect of this. But at the moment it's this battle for people wanting to be right, you know, and um, without Australia. Yeah. I mean, I really feel, I hear you, the polarization of where people are at with their extreme views of, Oh my God, why do we even have to wear a mask to people that are wearing double masks? You know, you've got everything in between and polarizing each other is not going to help the situation ever. You know I mean? how we've separated ourselves from nature, we've separated ourselves from our, from our own nature, you know, coming back mm. into who we are is once you discover your true nature of who you truly are and you, you get back in touch with that via your intuition and, you know, you don't throw rational and critical thinking out of the window. Of course not. That's a big part of who we are. But, you know, I, I feel like science has almost replaced religion in a lot of circles. You know, we, we have this need to prove things and understand things and there's so much in life that we don't understand and we can't understand with our rational mind but learning to feel and bring in the intuitive part of life alongside the rationality it's it's a really nice way to live and you know and that's the space that I really come from is looking at marrying those two worlds together that we've so conveniently separated out and it's the same thing with COVID we've, we've really separated out so much stuff that goes on. We haven't connecting the dots and pulling the threads back together, which is what I really love to do, is a really interesting conversation to have around COVID. I agree. Well, listen, Sal, it's been so epic as always. Like you're such a breath of fresh air. And um, I, I kind of just sitting here listening to you, just kind of just it sort of realigns my my way of thinking as well um, and, and, and brings me back down to earth and gets me thinking about some of the philosophies and ideas that you've given me actually over the last year in some of our other conversations. So thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to, you know, come and have this great conversation. You know, this is what I love doing more than anything else is talking about things that matter. Thank you. You know, and starting conversations all over the place, you know, just sparking people's thought processes and tapping into our imagination, which is, you know, where the magic really happens and to start thinking outside the box that we've put ourselves in, however that happens. And, you know, you contribute to that so beautifully with this podcast. So I'm so honored to come, you know, to come back as a returning guest. I know you don't often have people back. So I feel really (laughs) great. No. And like I said, your first episode had a lot of interest, you know, and especially around your, your journey with the migraines. I think that tapped into something very unique for a lot. There's people out there suffering in silence with that illness. So I had, I had a lot of interest in that. And um, for those that may want to go back through the back catalogue and have a listen, that was episode 68. And that one, Sally and I filmed um, live and on location in Australia together. So it was a beautiful conversation. So, you know, get in there and have a listen. Now, so I ask all guests usually to come to the podcast with like a cause or something they want to support or advocate for, like a charity. Now, I didn't, again, I get a bit hope slack sometimes. I didn't give any warning about this, but can you think of an initiative or a charity or something that you might want to raise awareness about today? Maybe something that's happening in Bali? Yeah. Oh, there's so many things happening in Bali. Uh, There actually is a really, a cause that's really dear to my heart. I did mention it on episode 68, which I love because I was born in the year 68. So (laughs) that's kind of cool. It is. Yeah. So the the organization that we've supported for a long time, or we actually, you know, kind of helped to initiate it, it's called YOSA, Youth of South Africa. And it's... That's right. Yeah. It's an amazing educational organization and it it just dovetails so beautifully actually into now the fact that I'm involved in the educational space. This program will go to that school. They'll have this sent into their organization. Uh, They take the youth off the street, the struggling, really rock bottom cases, you know, of the, the kids that they take them in off the streets of Soweto and the education the philosophy behind that education program actually runs very parallel with uh, what I teach. So, yeah, that's something that's super dear to our hearts here. 
has a lot of synergy with a lot of stuff that's going on in Bali, actually, just the economy and how COVID's impacted Africa. Yeah, okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And I'll put a link to that again in this episode's show notes where you'll also find um, Sally's platforms and you can connect uh, with her on that way. I'm definitely like looking forward to the the launch of the book. And as an educator myself, it's definitely something that I will get my hands on and, and try to implement because I know you so well and I know, I know where your heart's coming from and it's really coming from the right place backed by knowledge and research and evidence-based that sort of information. So you can find this episode on terriblehappytalks.com, but you can also find it on all the major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, CastBox or Overcast, and there's a few others. I think Chartable as well have picked it up. So whatever platform that you prefer to listen on, yeah, just subscribe, and it just helps me to keep producing weekly episodes so I can speak to legends like Sally Lewis. Thank you. Shannon, <laughs> thank you. You are everywhere, literally everywhere. I love it. So I'm very happy to continue the conversation with anybody else out there who might be, you know, interested in this kind of this space in the educational world. Um, or on the topic of migraines, please get in touch if you're struggling with that as well. Always happy for people to reach out on that. And, you know, who knows, there might be a book in the future. <laughs> on that one but yeah more than happy for people to be in touch you're a doer you are so inspiring to me you'll it'll happen also our friends at indosol will give you a pair of shoes um you're in changu area sese changu so um you can head straight into the indosol headquarters and um they'll have a pair of shoes for you made from repurposed motor vehicle tires doing their bit for the environment if you go down to the echo quarter You'll find the Indosol headquarters next to the clothing shop uh, Corporate Attire where they also support local Indonesian fashion makers and they put it all into an outlet shop. And, um, yeah, that's also their way of supporting the economy. They give 10% of every sale to a local initiative that's feeding the local people food every day. I think it's called Punka Punya. I might have got that wrong. But, um, yeah, get into those two shops because they're, they're definitely, you know, putting back into the local economy of Bali and supporting people that are literally – un. You know, it's hard to say, but people that are literally starving right now. So yeah, yeah. they are amazing initiatives. And yeah, that's such a, it's such a beautiful thing to see the support here on the island for those people. And, you know, there's just been just some amazing things to be able to get involved with here to know that you're making a difference in somebody's life on such a basic level, you know, that you can, you can do that so easily here at the moment. So yeah. Buying those shoes is definitely one way to do that. They are. Another pair. So thank you. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.